This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where they've begun adding up the cost of Hurricane Sally. Governor Ron DeSantis was in Pensacola Thursday to check out the damage. We are here as a state to support Northwest Florida. We have all hands on deck. We want to make sure to continue to keep people safe, rescues if needed, get that power back on. The governor says no storm-related fatalities have been reported yet, but there are plenty from the pandemic. The state health department reports another 147 fatalities from COVID-19. The death toll has reached 13,247. First daughter Ivanka Trump travels to Florida for a fireside chat with her buddy Pam Bondi, who knows how to ask the tough questions. The administration has done so much with COVID-19 and saved so many lives. Ivanka, can you just tell us a little bit about that? If you ever have to be interviewed, insist on Pam Bondi. Seriously. Democrats in Washington are trying to get the Senate to pass another COVID compensation package called the HEROES Act, and they gave a Florida congresswoman the chance to pile on. Inaction is irresponsible, short-sighted, and disrespectful to American families or small businesses and most importantly, our children. Today on Sunrise In-Depth, we'll hear from some professional do-gooders who want to make it easier for you to vote during the COVID crisis. This pandemic poses not only a, a profound public health threat, but also a threat to our democracy. Our recommended steps will help ensure that Florida voters are not forced to choose between their health and their fundamental right to vote. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and check in with a Florida woman with a glorious name. No ifs, ands, or, well, you'll hear soon enough. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, September 18th. The governor is promising residents of Northwest Florida the state will have their backs as they deal with the aftermath of Hurricane Sally. The hurricane has passed Florida. Uh, but we are going to continue to see impacts in different parts of northwest Florida because of the sheer amount of water that's been dumped all across the southeast. So even as it moves through uh, states north of us, uh, just remember that widespread river flooding is ongoing and it could continue um, over the next weeks in different parts of Florida. Uh, obviously, our first concern has been to protect life and keep people safe. Uh, as of this uh, moment, uh, we don't have reports of any fatalities in Florida related to the storm, uh, which we're thankful for. Uh, the state has activated over 500 National Guard soldiers. We have helicopters, high water vehicles. They've already performed more than 100 rescues. Of course, you've also had local first responders that have done many rescues as well, and they've done a great job. Uh, we also have our Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission with um, 50 special operation group members deployed. They've uh, made rescues of 20 individuals thus far. Uh, we have Florida Highway Patrol troopers on site. Urban search and rescue teams from around the state have been deployed here. And we've also sent 43 ambulances in the area to support uh, 911 operations. And so I want to thank everyone that's been a part of that. DeSantis got a bird's eye view of the flooding in a Coast Guard aircraft. As they wait for the water to recede, the governor says job one is restoring power. Power, though, is a, a major, major uh, uh, initiative and a priority at this point. At the peak of the storm, uh, we had 250,000 homes uh, that had power disconnected. Uh, so far, the utility companies have been able to restore power to 40,000 of those homes, and they do have crews here working. And they're going to be working 24-7 to be able to get the power back on. So we're working closely 
uh, with those uh, power companies. What I've asked the Florida Highway Patrol as well as the, the Florida Department of Transportation to do is to make sure they have the ability to get into the places that they need. You know, there's some parts uh, of Northwest Florida, I know I-10, I think in, over in Okaloosa, there was water cresting. Uh, and so you're seeing different uh, challenges regarding to getting around different areas. Uh, sometimes they have to limit the lanes. Just understand, if you're somebody that is just kind of going out to drive to drive, now may not to be the best time to do that. It's really slowing down being able to get all the utility trucks where they need to be. Uh, but I've asked Florida Highway Patrol, I've asked Department of Transportation, uh, do whatever you need to do to get those trucks in uh, because we want to get power on as expeditiously as possible. It's, uh, some of these are not easy to do, particularly if you have flooding and the way it can impact some of these lines. Uh, so we, we believe time is of the essence to get everyone in. Emergency gear has already been shipped into the area, and the governor says more is on the way. Our Division of Emergency Management here is deploying more than 200 generators of all sizes, uh, some for things like traffic lights, other to assist uh, with big multi-story buildings. We also have 100 pumps deployed into impacted areas to assist with power outages and flooding. Uh, we're also deploying 50 trucks with light towers to support power restoration and traffic movement during the overnight hours. We have had one assisted living facility in Santa Rosa County without power and we're assisting with the evacuation of 85 residents to a sister facility. Uh, we're also making sure that people have food, water and shelter. The Florida Division of Emergency Management has deployed 972,000 bottles of water, uh, 179,000 meals. Uh, the water will be key as three boil water notices have been issued uh, by the Oak Ocean System in Okaloosa County, Emerald Coast Utilities in Escambia County, Panama City Fountain Avenue in Bay County. Mobile feeding kitchens are being set up now, will be up and running tomorrow. So far, nine general county shelters have been open and five non-congregate hotel sh uh, shelters. All of these shelters have adequate PPE and the system is working to keep people safe um, in light of the ongoing COVID-19 uh, epidemic. Speaking of epidemics, Florida's death toll from COVID-19 continues to climb. 147 additional fatalities were reported Thursday. The death toll has reached 13,247. The total number of coronavirus cases in Florida is about 675,000. The Department of Economic Opportunity releases the August unemployment numbers today. July's jobless rate was 11.3 percent. There were more than 1,125,000 Floridians on the list. More than 3.7 million Floridians have filed for unemployment since the coronavirus began, but the number of new jobless claims filed in Florida was actually down last week. 33,821 people filed. That is the lowest number since the pandemic began in March. Unfortunately, that's about the only bright spot on the labor front. Employment is still way below pre-pandemic numbers. Earlier this week, the governor announced Florida will no longer participate in the president's jobless assistance program. It offers 300 extra bucks a week in jobless benefits, but the state can't afford the 25% match required to draw down the federal funding. More companies have also notified the state of extended furloughs or permanent layoffs. SeaWorld of Florida says 1,900 employees will be permanently laid off. Universal Orlando says 5,400 employees who were laid off won't be recalled for at least six months. And the Margaritaville Beach Resort in Hollywood says the layoff of 300 of their employees will last for more than six months.
A fireside chat with the first daughter in Tampa. Ivanka Trump was the guest of honor at the Columbia restaurant. Former Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi was the master of ceremonies and spent about 40 minutes lobbing softballs to Trump. My favorite question, though, came from a girl in the audience by the name of Josie Tomko. So Josie's question is, how is the president feeling with less than 50 days left until Election Day? He is feeling super energized, and it's amazing. I mean, that, that energy, which you see, I mean, he's ping-ponging across the country. I think he's going to be in five or six states this week alone. It's, you need that. You need that energy and that vigor to do the job because the demands upon you. Think about all of the enormously consequential decisions you make each day, and then all of the bureaucracy you contend with, and then all of the things you do ceremonially as part of the role. I mean, it, it requires enormous strength and enormous energy, and, and you'll see that. He, he doesn't get tired, and, and I remember the, the, the last election, it was um, our last night, and he had done seven states in one day. Um, it was like 26 hours, it was like one o'clock in the morning was the last rally. Um, and he looked at me and said, you know what? I'm really proud of what we've done, and we've left it all on the field. And he's going to leave it all on the field this time. And I hope all the volunteers leave it all on the field as well, because this is a battle for the heart and soul of this country and the direction of this country. And we can't take anything for granted. Finally, some common ground. That last remark about this being a battle for the heart and soul of the country is something both sides can agree on. Democratic leaders in Washington are promising to keep fighting for funding included in the HEROES Act, which has been stalled in the Senate since it passed the House in May. Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer held a press conference in hopes of lighting a fire under Senate Republicans, and they gave Florida Congresswoman Debbie Mukersell-Powell a chance to pile on. The Senate and this administration have completely turned their backs on mothers and fathers, nuestros abuelos y nuestras abuelas, by not taking any action. And what has happened? This virus has spread, and our families and our children have paid the ultimate price. Take my home state of Florida. Because the governor took his cues from the president over the advice of our top public health experts, we became an international hotspot in July and August for coronavirus. Floridians waited for hours to be tested, and waited a week, sometimes even two weeks, to get the results of their tests. And now we have marked over 13,000 Floridians who have lost their lives. So, yes, I cannot help but agonize over how avoidable this tragedy was. But we can't keep wishing that the virus doesn't exist and not take any action. We know what we need to do to be able to crush the spread of coronavirus and get people back to work and make sure that parents feel safe to send their kids back to school. All of these answers lie in the HEROES Act, which provides us with the tools needed to act aggressively and comprehensively in this moment. It gives us $75 billion for the testing capability that health experts have recommended for months. With the HEROES Act, we know we can contain the virus, reopen our schools and business safely, and regain the trust of Americans across the country and those that want to once again visit our beautiful state of Florida so that we can get back America on track. Inaction is irresponsible, short-sighted, and disrespectful to American families, our small businesses, and most importantly, our children. 
What we need right now is to pass the HEROES Act. The original version of the HEROES Act included a trillion dollars for state and local governments that are running in the red, another round of those $1,200 payments to individuals, plus help for the unemployed, renters, homeowners, college debt holders, and the Postal Service. Next on Sunrise In-Depth, some of those electoral do-gooders who think it should be easier to vote are asking the governor to make it happen. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we're much obliged. Predict It is like the stock market for all things politics. Instead of trading stock in companies, you're investing money into your opinions on everything from election results to how many times President Trump will tweet this week. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our podcast listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Try it today. Welcome back to Sunrise. Sixteen different groups that advocate for voting rights are asking the governor to use his executive authority and make some changes in the way the general election is conducted. Brad Ashwell, with an organization called All Voting is Local, says they have three simple requests for Ron DeSantis. Three steps which we believe would go a long way towards ensuring that voters aren't forced to choose between their health and their right to vote in November. We're urging Governor DeSantis to use his executive authority to address these three main issues. You should require that supervisors of elections dramatically increase their education efforts around vote-by-mail drop boxes. You should take steps that would expand accessibility of these boxes. The Secretary of State expressed encouragement along these lines in her uh, roundtable for supervisors as part of the settlement agreement. But um, we feel that some supervisors will need a lot more than encouragement. Uh, We believe that you should temporarily expand the hours and days of early voting to accommodate more voters a longer ballot and to comply with the CDC social distancing recommendations. Supervisors made an unprecedented unified ask back in March to increase uh, their allowable early voting days. Uh, We believe the governor should grant them this. And we think the governor should use his authority to temporarily allow uh, vote-by-mail ballots to be counted if postmarked on or before Election Day. Uh, One of the main causes for rejections of vote-by-mail ballots has been their late arrival. Uh, and it's likely that thousands of valid ballots will be rejected in November if they arrive in the supervisor's offices merely a day late. Uh, and given concerns about the United States Postal Service and the high number of voters voting by mail this cycle, that could uh, very well be a, re- a recipe for a lot of disenfranchised voters. The coronavirus pandemic has inspired a record number of Floridians to request mail-in ballots so they won't have to risk infections at crowded precincts on Election Day. Given the slowdowns at the Postal Service, ACLU voting rights attorney Michael Pernick says local elections officials need to place more of those drop boxes where people can return ballots to the elections office without actually sending them through the mail. The governor must use his executive authority to expand the use of drop boxes so voters have a safe, secure, and easy option to return their vote-by-mail ballots. For many voters, casting a ballot in person at a polling place carries an unacceptable risk of contracting COVID-19. This is especially the case for many Black and Latinx voters who have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic. At the same time, some voters lack confidence in the ability of the United States Postal Service to timely return their completed vote-by-mail ballot. So for these voters, the option to personally return their vote-by-mail ballot to a secure dropbox is the only acceptable choice. The governor has the power to address these issues through an executive order, and he should also temporarily expand early voting days and extend the absentee voting deadline. 
The clock is ticking, and we need action immediately to allow sufficient time to implement these common sense and nonpartisan recommendations. This pandemic poses not only a, a profound public health threat, but also a threat to our democracy. Our recommended steps will help ensure that Florida voters are not forced to choose between their health and their fundamental right to vote. You can also skip the lines on Election Day by voting early. So Liza McClenahan with Common Cause of Florida says local officials should do more than just the bare minimum. She wants them to max out their early voting days and hours. We're asking the governor to temporarily expand hours and dates of early voting through executive order. Florida law currently provides a mandatory early voting period of eight days. Earlier this year, the supervisors of elections requested that the governor extend early voting period to 20 days. We are echoing that request. And to use the maximum number of hours available, which is 12 hours, so from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., so that there is a consistency throughout the state for availability of this um, option for those people who feel they must vote in person and to give them the option for social distancing and the safety of cleaning the polling place between visits by the voters. The state did agree to do a better job reaching out to people who are not registered to vote. But Florida League of Women Voters President Patty Brigham says they appear to be doing the bare minimum and waiting until the last minute. Last year, Florida finally joined the Electronic Registration Information Center, better known as ERIC. It took seven years of advocacy for the state to join the multi-state pact. As a part of the pact, Florida has been required to contact residents who are unregistered but eligible to vote every federal election cycle and educate them on how to get registered. But the state has not historically sent such mailings to unregistered voters, rather, and that work has been left up to third-party groups like the League and political parties. So the League certainly applauds the state for finally joining this uh, pact. However, we are fearful that the required outreach action has come a bit late. The state has mailed some 2 million postcards to unregistered voters, but the October 5th registration deadline looms closer and closer. Recent postal service slowdowns may create delays in receipt of those postcards, and they were due to hit mailboxes beginning September the 15th. We strongly encourage those Floridians to watch their mail for that critical voter information, and we're hopeful these citizens will join the approximately 14 million Floridians who are already registered to vote. Voters don't have much time left. If you are not registered to vote, we strongly encourage you to do so now. October the 5th is the deadline. You can get more info from your county elections office, from the Secretary of State's office, or at vote.org. That's a nonprofit organization that does not support or oppose any political candidate or party. Calendar time. Starting at 9, State Representative Randy Fine teams up with FarmShare for a free food distribution event in Palm Bay. The Department of Economic Opportunity releases the jobless rates at 10, and today is the deadline for political committees in Florida to file their reports for all financial activities through the end of last week. Finally today, a story of a Florida woman who is being featured in this segment simply because of her name. 
64-year-old Lovely Butts was arrested in Daytona Beach after she was accused of throwing bleach on a child and threatening to pistol whip her. The girl told officers they were arguing about medication, and Butts doused her with the bleach, getting it in her nose and mouth. She also told police she was so afraid of getting in an argument with Butts that she started urinating in a plastic cup so she wouldn't have to leave her room. They found the cup in the victim's room and a gun in Lovely Butts' room. It was unloaded. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.